Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. It's me, Huzefa, and Jasper, of course. Jasper, how's it going? Hey, man, what's up? Everything's going well. Nice. Jasper is still in Brazil, gallivanting around, having fun, having a blast. (laughs) uh, Today, we've got a writer on the show, also a fellow Airbnb host as well, and her name is Paula Pant. Uh, Paula, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. So, Paula, before we get into all the cool things that you're doing with respect to your blog and writing and hosting and all that stuff, why don't you just tell everybody out there a little bit about yourself? Sure. In 2008, I quit my 9-to-5 desk job and never went back. I haven't been employed since. And so, uh, since then, I've I traveled for a couple of years and just lived off of savings and came back to the U.S. in 2010. And uh, since then, I've just been, I, I kind of like to think that everything I do is a little bit of a side hustle. I cobble together enough side hustles to make a good living. Um, so I run a blog. I uh, do various online work, freelance writing and online marketing and things like that for a handful of clients. And then I also started investing in real estate. And I'm both a traditional landlord. And by traditional, I mean I have standard 12-month leases. Um, and I'm also an Airbnb slash VRBO host. Um, in fact, that was something that I started kind of on a whim almost a year ago uh, in order to compare the experience of having a vacation rental like through Airbnb uh, versus being a long-term landlord and kind of seeing the pros and cons between the two and figuring out which one I'd rather do. That's really cool. And by the way, I've read your blog and you're, you're a great writer. Uh, just uh, just out of curiosity, what did you do before? What was your nine to five prior to breaking away? I was a newspaper reporter. Um, so I, uh, I wrote for a paper out in Colorado and it was a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed it. I hear a lot of people who quit their nine to five and their story typically tends to be, I hated my job. I hated going to work. And I had the opposite experience. I actually loved it. Um, and I, the pay kind of sucked, but other than that, it was great. Like I, I worked with really cool people. I, it was in many ways a dream job. Um, but I didn't have the freedom that I wanted. I couldn't just run off to Brazil the way some of you guys are, you know? (laughs) And uh, what's cool about being the gig economy, so to speak, um, you know, getting, getting paid for real estate and online work and all sorts of other things is that you, you can have a lot more freedom and a lot more flexibility. And that's what I was really drawn to my blog, by the way, we've I know we've been talking about it. So afford anything is the name of the blog, affordanything.com. I've kind of like used it as a brain dump over the past five years as I've transitioned from working nine to five to, uh, to what I do now. So it's really interesting. And I think Rizafa and myself, we can both relate to your story as we have both left our jobs behind as well. And I, I just wanted to ask you two questions about, about that. 
mm-hmm. the first question is what was your strongest motivation to quit and the second question is did you have any fears did you have any any apprehension about about doing were you scared of of making the decision uh, so my strongest motivation to quit came from the fact that I love traveling. It's one of my biggest passions in life. And I can't travel with two weeks vacation a year. And the idea that um, a better job would provide three weeks or four weeks of vacation a year still didn't appeal to me. I want I want 20 weeks a year, you know. <laughs> I want to be able to go anywhere that I want to go without having to submit a form to human resources asking for permission. That just doesn't seem like the way that an adult should be living their life. Um, you know, I've spent an, I've spent my entire childhood asking for permission to do things. I'm 31 years old now. I'm done, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so that was my motivation. If, if I could get my job done remotely from wherever I am, why should I have to be stuck in one spot? Uh, that was a strong enough motivation for me to quit. In terms of fears, I had a whole bunch of them, lots and lots and lots of fears. Um, for one thing, I grew up in a very traditional South Asian household where you know I was raised to believe that um, that you go to school and graduate and get a job and work hard. You know, a very structured, very traditional culture and mentality. And so to break that was um, not easy. It was very, it was, the mental hurdle was probably the most significant thing to get over, much more significant than any logistical hurdle. Um, I was worried that I was committing career suicide, that I would never be able to get a job again. And you know what? I never did get a job again, and it's great. It's funny you mentioned the South Asian background. I can relate to that because my family is Indian. So I grew up in, in that type of very, very education-centered, focused household. Uh, me and my, my mm-hmm. sister as well. So yeah, I can totally relate. That was a big break for me to just step away from my career. So good for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. I'm My family's Nepalese. And when I was growing up, uh, people never said, what do you want to be when you grow up? People would say, are you going to be a doctor or an engineer? <laughs> That's what my mom and dad so. are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's the background I was coming from. So to um, to cut that cord and say, you know what, I'm just gonna be self employed and see how this works out. Man, that was that was a big step. Was your family very happy with that decision? Uh, I had been talking about it for so long that they had gotten used to it by the time I finally did it. Because before I actually quit my job. Heck, before I got my job, I was already talking about quitting. Okay, you mentioned that one of the reasons you quit was because you wanted to travel. So, you know, I love traveling myself, and uh, I'm just curious, what parts of the world did you travel to? Uh, All over the place. I flew to Cairo on a one-way ticket. This was before the revolution, so Cairo was the safer place to travel at that time. And I started off by spending about six weeks in Egypt, and then from there I I spent a little bit more time in the Middle East. I went over to Israel uh, and then went to um, spend a significant amount of time sort of traveling all across Asia. So I went to India for a few months and then um, did the traditional Southeast Asia circuit of Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Myanmar, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia. Uh, then went down to Australia and New Zealand, uh, spent about 10 months there. Um, and I spent a little bit of time in Europe, not too much, just like f- about four months. Uh, and um, that was about it. That that adds up to about two years, all in all. Wow, that's awesome. 
And then how did you how did you get started with Airbnb? Did you use Airbnb during your travels? No, no, I was traveling dirt cheap. Uh, so I was staying in hostels that cost four dollars a night, five dollars a night. Um, so uh, Airbnb was too fancy for me at the time. Uh, but how did I get started with Airbnb? I guess I suppose. I knew about it just because I was in the landlord loop. Um, I began investing in rental properties in 2010 when I came back to the U.S. and the market had crashed. Everything, houses were cheap um, at that time. And everybody was too scared to buy. And, you know, there's that famous quote from Warren Buffett, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And everybody was afraid in the bottom of the recession. Um, and so I, I saw it as an opportunity to pick up a bunch of properties. And so I did. I've got seven units now that I've accumulated um, between 2010 to 2014. And uh, so I became really well connected with the landlord loop. And a lot of landlords would talk about Airbnb and they would, you know, not that many people had done it. A lot, they all knew about it and they all had, a, had that question in the back of their minds. Should I be, should I continue being a traditional landlord or should I try to expand into this arena? Um, and so I thought I would just put it to the test, run an experiment and see how it goes. And so now you run, you ran an experiment and I believe you have a blog post about it. Tell us. Tell us the experiment. Give us the rundown and how you documented everything. Sure. Well, I started off first and foremost. Well, one of the big initial differences is that as an Airbnb host, of course, you have to completely furnish the apartment, not just with furniture, but also with consumables. Uh, that's something as a landlord that I wasn't used to doing. So step one was just to get the apartment ready. I had to buy a bed and a dresser. And, and you know, the big things you think about, like you think about a couch, you think about a coffee table. But there are all these little things, the stuff of life, that you don't necessarily think about right off the top of your head. But, you know, buying hangers, buying a can opener, buying um, forks and spoons and a spatula and baking trays and ice cube trays, um, a, a plunger for the toilet, uh, buying all of those took... Uh, it did take a lot of time. It probably took about one or two weeks, but I it took a lot of brain power to think through what a person would need and come up with all of that from scratch. And so that was and that's why we in our book we have a full rundown of all the items that you might want to buy when you prepare for your Airbnb listing. Because I, I had the same thing. I had to go through my house and literally think, okay, what do what do people need? Do they need something that I don't need? You know, what's 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 good for somebody who's traveling? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know what was funny is when I first started doing this, um, a lot of people said to me, they were like, "Oh, yeah, you can uh, just just put it on Airbnb until it gets rented out," thinking that it's something that I would I would only use Airbnb for maybe two or three weeks. But if you've just spent two weeks and more than a thousand, I think I spent about $2,000 furnishing the place. You're not just going to rent it out on Airbnb for a couple of weeks. Like because there's so much upfront work that needs to go into making a place vacation rental ready, uh, you're committed to it. You're committed to seeing it through for at least six months just to, just to get back that it recoup that initial investment. 
so you were so you did this price comparison you invested the money now tell us what did you find what was the outcome as far as the fixed term rental and the short term rental well I was surprised by a few things. Number one, before I became an Airbnb host, I thought that vacancies would be significantly higher for obvious reasons. And as a landlord, vacancy is the most expensive thing that you can endure. Um, and fortunately, that wasn't the case. I've had really good occupancy. And part of that is just the art of pricing it right. Um, part of that comes from putting it at a lower price initially while you're still getting your first few reviews, and then after you have four or five really good reviews, raising the price. Um, but anyway, to, to answer your question, I, uh, among other things, I found that vacancy, at least in my personal experience, was not as big of a profit killer as I had feared it would be. On the other hand, taxes are a huge profit killer because in many localities you have to pay not just your standard income tax, but also sales and occupancy tax, the same as a hotel would pay. And that can be significant, especially if you live in a, in a city, in an urban area, as I do. Um, utilities are certainly something to consider. We pay, um, it, de it depends on the season, but anywhere from, well, we, we pay like about roughly $200-ish per month for utilities, including cable, gas, electricity, all of that. Um, consumables, I thought would be a, a you know, profit margin wiper um, because I was afraid of having to constantly restock uh, sponges and toilet paper and paper towels and all of those things that people consume. It turned out consumables aren't as much of a a price drag as I thought that they would be. And I think a lot of that is because people oftentimes, they'll use things, but they'll also replace things. Not everybody. Some people just use things and then leave you with an empty unit when they check out. But other people will check out and leave you with a full bag of coffee or a full box of tea. And that sounds like a little thing, but if enough people do that, it sort of offsets a lot of those consumable costs. So in the end, I ended up with a, a net positive of roughly about 500 per month over what I would have made uh, if I had been using this unit as uh, a traditional long-term rental. Now, it's interesting you mentioned the cost of the electricity, utilities, and consumables. In your experience, uh, is there a big difference between long-term renting and Airbnb? In terms well, of massive, yeah. I mean, uh, as a long-term landlord, you typically don't pay electricity or gas for a renter. They they put that in their own name and they handle right. those bills themselves. Uh, so that's $200 a month. I mean, 2400 a year, that's significant. Right, okay. That's Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I, I used to rent out my house long-term, but I always had the utilities included. But I guess ah. you can also... Uh, you can also have it uh, excluded. What about the consumables? What about the the maintenance? Sort of the the drag on you know sort of normal wear and tear. Well, that would be the same regardless of whether you're a long term landlord or a Airbnb host. Okay, because one thing that I noticed is when I had long a long term renter in my house, mm -hmm. that person was you know pretty much always at the apartment. You know, he cooked every night. And mm -hmm. uh, through some parties every now and then. And I noticed when I started running out on Airbnb, I noticed that the, the kitchen, people didn't really use it very much. 
Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was actually getting less wear and tear uh, on, on, on that aspect than with my long-term renter. Mm. Yeah, I have actually noticed that same thing, that the kitchen doesn't get used that often. Uh, the stove is rarely ever used. Um, and one thing that's kind of nice about, be- because we clean it so often, we clean it at every turnover, that means the carpets are constantly getting vacuumed. Um and I'm sure with the number of turnovers that we handle, that we're vacuuming carpets much more than any long-term renter would. I mean, I certainly vacuum the carpet in the Airbnb unit much more than I vacuum the carpets in my own home. And so that level of carpet cleaning, I think, probably helps preserve the life of the carpets. Um, so in that sense, you know, I think that there there's an argument that you could be made that there's less wear and possibly less wear and tear. But that being said, um, you know, you do occasionally get the Airbnb guests who just, I I don't want to say trash the place, but who are a little bit careless or, you know, spill something or, um, you know, or whatever else. So I, I feel like on balance, it's kind of even. Okay. And you said, so now you, when you did the comparison after all the costs and everything, I think you said five or $600, you came out, what was your baseline? So I could rent the unit at eleven hundred a month, and then and then how and then how much did you make total with the Airbnb rentals on average per month? Uh, on average, here let me let me look up let me look up the blog post so I can make sure that I'm quoting it accurately. Here I've got the spreadsheet published on my blog on affordanything.com. dot com. Um, I've actually published three blog posts about this, and I've got a fourth one coming out at the end of December. Um, and uh, I published the spreadsheet, a very detailed spreadsheet on each one. All right. So in the most recent update that I've published on Afford Anything, um, the average rate is $2,375.62 per month uh, gross income. So that is a gross income that's... Um, about $1,200 higher than what I would be making as a traditional landlord. That said, I've also got additional expenses such as sales and occupancy tax, utilities, consumables, uh, housekeeping, landscaping, all of that. And so because those expenses are higher, the net income per month ends up being $1,705.55. And so compared to the benchmark of 1100 the difference, the net positive difference is $605.55 right. per month. It's very interesting. Yeah, so you guys definitely check out, uh, check out that blog post because it goes into details as far as exactly what uh, what costs that were kind of went into effect, you know, went into the factor of, of the, everything that she made and so on. So that's really cool. And hopefully our, our listeners will check that out. Now in the years that you've been, in the year that you've been hosting on Airbnb and VRBO, do you have any interesting guests that come to mind or stories that you want to sort of pass along to our listeners? Yeah. You know, one thing that's been really cool is that, uh, we live fairly close to a, a theater, like a, uh, the place where Broadway shows would perform when they come to Atlanta. Uh, we, we live in Atlanta. Um, and so uh, some of our guests have actually been performers in musicals, in touring Broadway musicals. And so uh, one of the first guests that we had were performers in The Lion King. And we actually went uh, and watched them perform. It was a 
a man and his wife, and both of them, the man was one of the lions, and the wife was, uh, I think she was behind the scenes with the show somehow. So we went there, we saw him perform, so we got to see our guest on stage in this broad, off-Broadway production, or Broadway production, uh, and then and then he actually gave us a backstage tour afterwards, so we got to, you know, meet the guy who played Simba and see the costumes and all of that, so that was really fun, like, getting to be a, a part of that, and actually, recently, we had uh, another couple that stayed and the the man was a performer in Phantom of the Opera. He was the understudy to the Phantom. And um, in the mornings, you could actually hear him warm up. You could hear him practice his scales. And every now and again, he'd actually practice a full song. So it was really cool. You could I could hear it through the wall because the Airbnb unit is in the same building that I also live in. And we so we share a common wall between us. And so through the wall, I could actually hear this professional um singing like phantom of the opera music it was unreal it was so cool to experience it was like one of my favorite parts of my morning i'd pour a cup of coffee and listen to this amazing singer that's really cool and um i also noticed on your on your blog post that you had a uh sort of a last minute problem that you had to solve when Two guests uh, unexpectedly brought their children with them. Yes. So our unit has uh, one bed. It has one queen-size bed in it. And uh, if people are bringing additional guests, um, such as children, or if you've got like a big party of, of friends who all want to stay, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we are happy to put out a queen-size air mattress that we have um, to accommodate the additional guests. So we've got one queen-size bed and then the possibility of an air mattress. But if you don't tell us in advance that those additional guests are coming, we're not going to put the air mattress there. We don't keep it there um, all continuously because we did that before and um, the air mattress well, the pump walked away. And so now we keep the air mattress with us in our own unit. And if somebody needs it, we just run it over. It's no big deal. Usually it's no big deal. Um, but we're not always in town. And so there was one weekend when uh, my boyfriend Will and I both flew out to California and we knew we had a reservation. We had a woman checking in and she had booked for two guests. Uh, so we just didn't put out the air mattress. And then she contacts us while we're in California and says, hey, where's the air mattress? <laughs> and we're like, oh no, what do we do? Because our, our air mattress had actually sprung a leak. And so the one that we had couldn't, it wasn't usable. We had figured that we would buy another one the next time that we had a reservation for more than two people. But since she had made a reservation for only two people, uh, you know, there wasn't that impetus to buy another one. Basically, she had reserved for the wrong number of people, and um, now that became our problem. And so we called uh, we called our roommate and asked her to pull the physical mattress off of our bed and carry it to that unit. She tried, but the mattress was way too heavy for her to do that. She'd have to lug it up a flight of stairs. She just wasn't able to do it. And so, um, so the kids ended up having to sleep. She brought them extra bedding. She stripped our bed and brought the comforters and pillows and everything like that. And the kids slept on that on the floor. Um, but that was just a really very stressful, very sucky situation because, um, you know, it, it, to me, it really underscored how hard it is to try to manage 
Airbnb remotely um, because those kinds of sudden last minute needs come up. And if you're not physically there to accommodate that need, um, then then you end up with a subpar experience. I mean, certainly her kids, I'm sure, didn't enjoy sleeping on the ground. Um and and it just it's a kind of a lose lose situation. Like we felt bad that we couldn't be there to give her an air mattress, and um, and it yeah, it just underscores how how hard it is to try to manage something like this when you're when you're not physically there. I see. It's a really interesting story. You are of course a super host, which means you've done an outstanding job as a host with your guests. For people listening out there who are either trying to get into the game of Airbnb or want to improve their listing, what advice do you have? Uh, Number one, take lots and lots and lots of photos and spend the time to take really good photos. Um, Go there in the middle of the day when there's good lighting, uh, you know, stage it well, make sure that, that you put some flowers in the corner to sort of brighten up a corner, uh, turn all the lights on, just, just take that time. You can request the Airbnb send a professional photographer, but sometimes those requests take a while to fulfill. I put in a request in roughly March or April and the professional photographer came in November. So it took, um, met like more than six months for me to, to have that one fulfilled. So number one, take the time to take good photos. Number two, when you first put up the listing, price it at a lower point, lower price point until you get uh, a couple of good reviews. And once you have those good reviews, then you can raise the price, but you want those good reviews first. And number three, respond to inquiries quickly. Uh, have the Airbnb app on your phone so that you can just quickly answer somebody from your phone, even when you're on the go. Um, those are probably the top three tips that I would give somebody who wanted to, to start. Yeah, I think those are really good tips. I'm surprised it took the Airbnb photographer so long to uh, to, to for the appointments. What do you have there's any only, idea why? Yeah, there's there's only one photographer in Atlanta. So, by the way, if you live in Atlanta and you're a photographer and you're looking for work, I totally recommend that you try to photograph at Airbnb. I think they they need more Atlanta photographers. Okay, and this is how long ago? Uh, this was November 2014. Okay, so it's fairly recently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, interesting. That's uh, that's way too long. Um, yeah. I will. Uh, I'll make sure to mention that to uh, to the people at Airbnb when I next visit. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one just one quick question about your listing. Mm-hmm. I I noticed you have a strict cancellation policy. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? Why did you choose the the strict one? Well, if somebody makes a reservation, then I am, by definition, turning away other potential paying guests uh, in order to accommodate that person's reservation. And so they need to have some skin in the game. I've got skin in the game, so it's only fair that they also put skin in the game. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, um, that when you have a strict cancellation policy, uh, it can also deter people from booking. And that's, that's why, fine. That's I don't. Why. I don't want wishy-washy people to book. I only want people who are committed to book. Because if I have to hold that spot, then that is going to cost me money out of pocket. If that person ends up canceling, and I've held that spot at the expense of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And 
do you think that um, if a person cancels like a week in advance or so, do you think you can still find uh, somebody else? It's significantly harder. Most of the bookings that I get are several months in advance. Okay. That's interesting. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Paula, for taking the time to be on our show. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. And let's uh, remind our listeners where they can find out more about you. Uh, so my, my blog is affordanything.com and I post uh, all of the details of my Airbnb experiment, including very detailed spreadsheets about exactly how much I earn and spend. So if you want just a a very comprehensive look at the life of an Airbnb host, I've got it all at affordanything.com. And you can also reach out to me on facebook.com uh, slash afford anything on Twitter. I'm afford anything. And on Instagram, I'm Paula Pant. Awesome. And yeah, for the, especially for the people who aren't hosting yet and want to get an idea of what it looks like, I can totally recommend this post because I've never seen such a detailed post on Airbnb hosting. There's oh, literally screenshots of Excel sheets. Um, you worked all the, all the, the monetary stuff. You worked it out. In, Thank you. Two decimals. <laughs> so uh, very transparent, very uh, elaborate, and uh, I think really uh, interesting for people who are thinking about doing Airbnb. So definitely check that out. And uh, thanks again, Paula. And thanks everybody who's listening. Of course, every Monday and Thursday we have another episode coming up. And if you like to know more about Airbnb hosting, check out our blog getpaidforyourpet.com there's tons of cool re resources on there uh, for example the, you can get the first couple chapters of our book for free you can also find our book on amazon of course we have a kindle version as well as a paperback version available for the show notes you can check out getpaidforyourpet.com slash podcasts and there you'll find uh, the episode with Paula and we'll put in uh, the links to her blog so you can go check that out as well so thanks everybody and we'll see you next time get paid for your pet get paid for your pet get paid for your pet